Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. Welcome to the clinic, Virgin Most Powerful Radio family. Thank you for coming back. And I want to welcome you to part two of our identity in Christ. I know that last time we talked a little bit about um, how we know who we are, because currently in society, or any time in society really, you notice that we're always trying to find ourselves or trying to find our identity. And just to do a little bit of a recap, let's see what the Bible tells us about who we are. So if we want to start from the very, very beginning, we look at the prophet Jeremiah again, where he tells us that God knew us before we were even born here on earth, before we existed, and he had a mission for us. We go back to the book of Genesis, where we see that God made us, and it tells us that he made us in his image and likeness. So this is very important that we are re related to God. We're creatures of God, and we're created in his image and likeness. But what does this mean, really? Because we could look at nature and say, you know, there's plants, there's animals, there's the earth. All these things were created by God. There's the planets, the solar system. But what is their relationship with God? We have to ask ourselves, if we were created by God, what's our relationship with God? And if the Bible is telling us that we were created in his image and likeness, well, that makes us a little bit different. That We're not exactly just made for, for at random. Jeremiah again tells us that there's a specific mission God has for us. If we can't focus on that or if we don't remember that at a time, we can feel very lost. We can start to imagine that our mission is somehow to be very fruitful here on earth or to uh, seek things of the world and to get into different positions of power or different organizations that we feel are so important. But if we lose sight of the fact that really we were made for God, that can be get, getting very dangerous and that can open us up for different things because we're not aware of our own identity. So that's what brings us fast forward to when Christ comes. And we had talked about how Christ came to reveal himself to us for a couple different reasons. First, he came to reveal himself to us because God continues to reveal himself to us. He revealed himself as the son of God, as we saw that in the book of Matthew, when Peter was able to tell him that uh, he was the son of God when he asked, who do you say I am? And we also see in the book of John that Christ reveals himself to us as the light of the world. So we know that he's the son of God, but now he's got a relationship with the world. He is the light of the world. He is the one who lets us see the truth for what it is. Because if we see things in any other light, we might not get the whole picture. We might not get the right colors, the right hues, the right definition of what it is we're looking at if we don't see it through the lens of Christ or the light of Christ. So that's very important. And all, so now we know who we are. We're created by God. We know who, who God is. We know who Christ is. He came here to show us the truth. But now what's our relationship to each other? And that's really where our identity is going to lie. What is our relationship to God? And Jesus defines that very, very simply. It's, I say simply, but in reality, it might seem like it's simple, but truly we're going to get into the complexities of this. Because Christ tells us, and where we left off last time, is that we are his friends. He has decided that we're his friends. Friendship is very important. It sounds like a very simple uh, um, thing that we all know about. We all know about having friends. We go to grade school and we ask our kids, 
hey, did you make any friends today in school? Who are your friends? Who's your best friend? And we know that friendship in children can be fluctuating. It can, uh, uh, you know, you can have a different friend every week and friendships evolve over time. And we know that people have friends. And in modern day society, we even look on things like social media and we say, oh gosh, how many friends do I have? And did you friend me? I'm going to friend you. We use this term in many different ways, but we want to look at it for what it truly is and, and for what it is in terms of our psyches, in terms of our mental health, in terms of how we think of friendship, even in the world of psychology. You know, before psychology didn't really explore friendship because they saw it as kind of something simple and fluffy, if you will. It was just kind of this extra thing that people are friends and they have the relationship as friends. But if we look at what friendship is and we look at the fact that Christ defines us as his friends, it becomes much more interesting. So let's look at this for a second. So we see that Christ tells us in John 15, verse 5, first he tells us that he is the vine and we are the branches. So before he even defines us as his friends, he already tells us that we are dependent on him. Not just dependent on him, we're 100% dependent on him. The vine does not depend on the branches for anything. The vine is getting its, its nutrients, its food, its water from the earth. The branch depends 100% on that vine to transmit all those nutrients, to make sure that it's still alive. If that branch is not attached to the vine, that branch won't live. And Christ tells us that. He says, apart from me, you will not have life. But you notice the relationship between the branch and the vine is that the vine does not need the branch at all. The vine can survive without the branch, but the branch cannot survive without the vine. It's just not going to happen. So now we look at this and we say, well, wait a minute. My relationship with Christ, therefore, is that I'm 100% dependent on him. 100%. So what does that mean? If I'm 100% dependent on somebody, that gives them a lot of power over me. Am I their slave? Am I their servant? What is this? Because I am 100% dependent on Christ. He could do with me whatever he wants because he could even cut me off if he wanted and say, well, no, I'm not going to give you any more nutrients. But Christ goes on to define that further. He doesn't leave it at that because that could be pretty uh, um, imposing. That could be very strong to say, you depend on me 100%. He goes on further and he defines it and he says in John 15, verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So now he's telling us, yes, you are 100% dependent on me, but my relationship with you is one of friendship. It's not one of master and servant. I don't call you servant anymore. I reveal to you everything I know. Why is that important? Well, let's look at what friendship really means. Because it can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. And if we're not sure exactly what's involved in friendship, we're not going to know what Christ really means by this. Because we can easily say, oh, we're friends, and you're my friend, and this person's my friend. Uh, kind of in the language as we use the word love, right? We love pizza, we love sports, and we love our spouse. So is love the same thing in each case? We have to look at this as the idea that friendship has to really be defined in terms of what does this mean and what's involved in a friendship. If we look at the dictionary, I got a few definitions just to see what some of the official dic uh, dictionary definitions were. I got this from the Webster Dictionary. And it said that friendship is a long-term relationship that requires cooperation. It also says that there's an attachment by affection or esteem of a favored companion. And it also says that there's an assistance, so that one who gives assistance. That's very textbook, very 
very dictionary type definitions. In the world of psychology, though, it, it expands on that a little bit. So the first definition was that is a long-term relationship. Psychologically, we know that in order to have a friend, a true friend, you have to spend time with this person. You can't just say hello to somebody and meet them once and say, wow, you're, you're my friend. Friendships evolve over time. This is well known. So we need to spend time to, with each other. We need to spend time in each other's presence. But why? Because that time allows us to know each other, to really know the nuances of who we are, of our ups and downs, and of our positives and negatives. And this is very important because friendship also requires honesty. If we're going to look at friendship, uh, one of the things that's important is not only do we spend time with each other and, and we get to know each other, but since we do get to know each other, we know our strengths and our weaknesses. Now, at that point, we can choose to stay in the friendship or leave the friendship, right? We can say, uh, you know, gosh, I, I don't really get along with you. Maybe you're not my friend. Uh, the way you treated me, I don't find that very friendly. Or, you know, I, I really don't care. I, I just don't get anything out of this. Notice that I say, I don't get anything out of this. But in a friendship at the same time, you got to ask yourself, am I willing to put my time, am I willing to contribute to this? So one of the first things that it has to be a long-term relationship, there has to be time involved where we spend, where we spend our invested time. That's all we have. And there's nothing more important than time. People even say time is money, right? So there's an investment there that we're making in the relationship. Okay, so that's one thing to notice about a friend. The other thing is that there is a, an affection or an esteem. This is important because when you look at the quality of friendship, sometimes people will say, oh, that's my friend. And you look at this, this companionship and you see that, gosh, they really don't seem to get along. I don't know, you say that you're friends, but I'm not sure that you guys are really friends because it seems like you're always arguing a lot or, you know, your boyfriends and girlfriends. Uh, sometimes I've seen couples that I treat in, in clinic or couples counseling. Uh, and when we do that, one of the things that I notice is, is there a friendship here on top of just being married or being a boyfriend and girlfriend or things of that nature? Because sometimes I say, you guys even don't really like each other. I don't think that you're even friends to begin with. And that's so important to look at because part of friendship means that there is a mutual give and take, a mutual I add to your life and you will add to my life. So it's not a type of relationship where it's just I take and take and take. You know, that can be very abusive. And in terms of our relationship with Christ, we have to look at, where is the give and take? And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But lastly, is that part of the friendship is not just that I enjoy being with you and you enjoy being with me, but there's a mutual assistance. So we do help each other. So those are the three most important things. There's time, we enjoy being with each other, and we help each other. There's a scientific basis to why do we stay friends as well? Because when we look at this, this time that we spend with each other, it's quality time. You notice that sometimes you say, oh, I'm, not, I'm feeling down. I'm going to go talk to a friend. Or I'm going to sit down and have a cup of coffee, and I'm going to talk to a friend. Why is that important, and why is that scientific? More when we come right back.
Help the Helpless, a Minnesota St. Paul nonprofit organization chaired by Father of Tear and volunteers, is humbly asking you for your kind support to help the poor and the handicapped children in India and Ecuador. Through financial support from the help of the helpless benefactors, the children are provided with clothing, food, education, shelter, and the teachings of the Catholic Church. The mission is to help children thrive and become self-sufficient young adults leading productive lives. We also provide aid to poor families in Ecuador with food baskets, medicines, medical assistance, and help with funeral needs for the deceased. The work in India is done by Father Antonio's organization, St. Mary's. In Ecuador, the work is being done by the Servant Sisters of the Home of Mother. You can call us at 877-762-8857. To learn more, please visit our website, www.helpthehelpless.org. God bless you. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, St. Paul says, So there abide faith, hope, and love, these three. According to St. Ignatius of Antioch, faith is the beginning and love is the end. And God is the two of them brought into unity. Then comes everything else that makes up a Christian. May God grant that we may attain all the virtues that make for authentic followers of His Son. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. All right. Welcome back to the clinic. Today we're talking about our identity in Christ and the fact that Christ called us friends. It's very, very important as to how we're going to relate to him. I feel that our friendship with Christ is scientifically based and one of the things to consider is that, why is this scientifically based? Well, I say our friendship with Christ, friendship in general. There's a science to it because as we're spending time with each other, something is happening. What creates that bond, right? Whenever we say that there's a friendship, we realize that there is a friendship and there is a bond. Well, when we're spending time with each other, when we are in each other's presence, and when we are enlightening each other, giving to each other, making each other's lives more positive, we notice that there's laughter, there's smiles, we feel much better after talking to a good friend. Why is that? Because there's neurotransmitters happening. These neurotransmitters are going through the brain and they're enhancing how we feel. These are the same neurotransmitters, if you will, that we experience, say, when something really good happens, you win a prize, you win a lottery, the brain starts to release these very positive neurotransmitters. Sometimes we call them serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine, Another one that's very, very important, especially in friendship, is called oxytocin. This oxytocin, usually we see it when a mom has a baby or when she's breastfeeding or an intimacy in a married relationship. We see that there's a release of oxytocin, and this creates a very, very strong bond and attachment. 
um, as the brain to the psyche to the person um, in terms of the relationship. These matters are happening at levels all the time, especially if we are in a positive situation, in a positive relationship, somewhere where we're feeling happy, somewhere where we're laughing. And in the midst of our friendship, that's what happens. You know, we sit down, we talk to a friend, and you know that you're with a friend when you tell somebody, oh, I can really be myself. What does that mean? It means I am free to be me, and I am very happy in this place, and I know that this is somewhere where I want to come back, somewhere where I want to be, because I feel free. Now, what's keeping this friendship together? This bond is important because if you look at the nature of friendship, if it weren't for this bond that's happening, and we can say it's a physical bond because of neurotransmitters. We can say it's a spiritual bond. We can say it's a psychological bond because of how we think of the situation. This bond is happening, but it's very different from any other relationship. It's different because we talk about the natural law, and we can talk about married couples and moms and dads and kids and families, and we say those are pretty strong relationships. We always say blood is thicker than water. But the reality is those are relationships that are bound by the natural law, and by the civil law. So if you notice, a parent has a very specific legal right to their child. If the child's in school, if the child is lost, if the child is anywhere, if anything happens to the child, the person that they look for is where the parent, right? Why? Because we know that this child belongs to these parents and they belong to them because biologically that's their child. So in the natural law, there is this natural relationship that, that's there between parent and child that can never be broken. Your parents are your parents always. Your children are your children always. Barring death, of course, and people will argue different things, but we have this relationship that's going to spread through time. It's not going to change. That relationship itself doesn't change even if we get older. Our parents are our parents. That's important because it's part of the natural law and the relationship's there. And if you ever want to say, you know, legally, they say, well, when you're 18 years old, you can leave your house. And how many times do we hear the parents say, well, as long as you're living under my roof, you're going to follow my rules and very common to say that because you know, we have this relationship of we're parent and child but there are certain rules that we follow and if you ever don't want to be my child and let's say that the, the child wants to leave the house before they're 18 they actually have to go get uh, emancipation they have to go to the to the courthouse and they have to uh, request that 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 they be independent of their parents it's it's not as simple as saying i'm just going to leave the house there is a legal and a natural union there. You get married, and all of a sudden you want to break the marriage. What happens? You actually have to go back to the courthouse. Just to get married, it's contractual. It's legally contractual and under God, natural law contractual. But if you want to split that marriage, there is a legal obligation. You can't just all of a sudden decide, we're going to leave, especially if there's kids in, in, in the middle, and there's custody issues, financial issues, responsibilities that now we have to each other. And so our relationship is not exactly uh, free, so to speak. We have a contractual relationship. If we want to split it up in the eyes of the law, if you will, you have to go to the courthouse and you have to request a divorce. How are these relationships different from a friendship? In terms of a friendship, I don't need anybody's permission to be friends. I can form a friendship with anybody who I spend time with, who I feel that I enjoy their company, and who helps who we help out each other mutually and hopefully they feel the same way that's how friendships are formed there's no contract there's nobody forcing the friendship and if i want to split that friendship up if i no longer want to be friends i don't have to go to any entity 
I might have to have a conversation with a person to help them understand the situation, or I might have to um, just cut it off, depending on how the relationship is. If the friendship has evolved and it's no longer a healthy friendship, shall we say, I no longer have to stay in it. And there's nothing keeping me uh, bonded to this person other than my own will. This is very, very important because if Christ is going to tell us that we are now his friends, we're not his slaves, we're not bound by any contract is what he's telling us. There's no power play. It's strictly we are friends. We exist in a relationship where if we spend time with each other, we get to help each other out, and it's going to be a very enjoyable relationship. It can be a very enjoyable relationship. Not to say that there's not going to be sacrifices involved, but that might be part of how we help each other out. This is very, very important because the most important part of the friendship is that it's freely given and it's freely taken away. There is nothing there where we are bound by anything other than our free will. And this is really crucial in terms of the relationship. God has given us free will, even to the point of where we decide we want to be his friend or not. He's already made the decision. He's already said, I'm using my will and I want to be your friend. We are friends and I will never break that bond. I will not change that bond. And he sealed that friendship in blood. It wasn't as simple as just saying, well, we're friends, we're going to spend time with each other. He said, let me show you what I can do for you. But let's look a little bit more at that and let's look at how, how this happens. So one, we said that part of the friendship is mutual help. We see in the Bible, what, what terms of friendships do we see in the Bible? What passages do we see in the Bible that describe friendship? So if we look at the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 14, Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. But then he goes on in uh, John 13. This is before he even tells us that we're friends and not his servants. So first he tells us, you are my friends if you do what I command you. So you're going to help me out. You're going to do what I tell you to do. And then the next, right before that, he tells us, there is no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So even before that, he tells us, first of all, there's no greater love than somebody who lays down his life for his friends. Foreshadowing that he's going to die for us. He's going to seal this friendship in, in, in blood. And the reason for this is because he's coming to save us. He's saying, I'm going to do for you what nobody else can do. I'm going to open the gates of heaven for you. And I am going to go ahead and give myself. I'm going to freely give myself to the crucifixion in order for you to be saved. That's how you know. This is how I'm going to help you out. It's pretty to the extreme. And he's saying in return, because the friendship is mutual, all I want you to do is do what I command you. Why? Because when we do what Christ commands us, then we allow him to work through us. We open ourselves up so that he can be the one still continuing his mission. He wanted, he knew that he was going to die. If we, if we look at why the verses are put together in the gospel, Christ is telling us there's no greater love than a man who lays down his life for his friend. He knows he's going to die. In return, because I'm going to do this, I need you to follow my commandments. Why does he need us to follow his commandments? So that we can be united to him and his mission can continue on earth through us. This is the important, this is the mutual helping of, of the relationship. feels like he's not asking for much compared to what he's giving. You know, this relationship, even though um, it's, it's a friendship, it's an equal friendship, but he knows where our limitations are as well. How do, we know, how do we know that he knows our limitations? He's just asking us, do what I ask you to do. Well, part of the friendship we said was being honest. And we said that friends know 
our positives and our negatives. They know our strong suits and our weaknesses. We see this in the Gospels as well. So if we look at, here, we look at Luke chapter 5, verse 8. This is where the disciples were casting their nets all night. This is, before, this is when he calls them to be his followers. And they were casting their nets all night, and they weren't catching any fish whatsoever. And he tells Peter, you know, it's the morning, they're coming in, they're tired. And he tells Peter, why don't you throw your nets on the other side? And they say, you know, we've been at this all night. There's nothing out there. There's no catch tonight. But okay, we'll go ahead and do that. So they cast their nets, and lo and behold, what happens? All of a sudden, they're catching more fish than they can. They, they can't even believe that this is happening. This is overwhelming because they were just there. They realized there was not much there. And after he asked them to do this, all of a sudden, they have this huge catch. And what's Peter's reply at this point? Peter is overwhelmed, and he realizes that this is, this is the Lord. And he says, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. It says that Peter went down to his knees and says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. This is important because Peter's declaring to him, I have not led a good life. I am not perfect. I have weaknesses. And what is Christ's reply? If I tell a friend of mine, if I consider somebody my friend, and I say, man, I'm just, this is, I'm not, I need to work on this. I'm not good in this way or, or that way. Or a true friend would tell me, you know what? You're being a real jerk right now. Like, I like hanging out with you, but you got to look at this honestly. Is he going to focus on that? Or why is he telling me that? Is he telling me that to beat me down? He's telling me that probably because he's saying, I see the positive in you and that's not coming out right now. What does Jesus say to Peter? What does he tell him? Boy, you are sinful. I've been keeping track of everything you're doing. And, and I don't know. You're just, I don't know about you, Peter. No, he doesn't even, he doesn't even recognize that. He acknowledges Peter and he says, do not be afraid. From henceforth, you will be catching men. So he doesn't tell Peter, you're right. You're a sinful man. Get away from me. He says, don't be afraid. He doesn't say you're not a simple man. He doesn't negate that. But he tells him, I don't want you to be afraid of that. I know who you are. I know what your weaknesses are. But I also know your strengths. And that's why I'm picking you to be a catcher of men. Right there, he says he's a catcher of men. And eventually, he makes Peter the first pope. So he must have held him in very high esteem in spite of his weaknesses. He doesn't negate that Peter has weaknesses. He doesn't negate that Peter can be a simple man. But he says, I am going to make you a fisher of men. From now on, you will be catching men if you follow me. So you notice the relationship with Christ there is very honest. He knows that we're going to have our weaknesses. He knows our frailties. But he's telling us, I don't want you to focus on that. I want you to focus on following me. And that's what's going to make you great. That's how you're going to help me out. Because what he's telling Peter is, look, I'm going to help out humanity. I know what's going to happen. I know that I have to give my life in order for you to be saved. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to help you out that way. I need you to help me out. I need you to spread my word, to catch more men, to bring them to me. We're going to see how this continues and why this is important as far as our identity. Because if we have friendship in Christ, we might make some enemies along the way.
Hands-on apologetics. You have entered into Virgin Most Powerful's Apologetics Dojo, where we go wall to wall with defending, explaining, sharing the faith. Master apologist, Carlo Broussard. Carlo, welcome to Hands-on Apologetics. Hey, Gary. It's great to be back in the dojo, my friend. Master apologist, Ken Hensley. Welcome to Hands-on Apologetics. Good to see you again, Gary. Good to be with you. Michael Barber, welcome. You have entered into the Virgin Most Powerful's Apologetics Dojo. Gary, thanks for having me on. We are chatting with Master Apologist Carl Keating. Gary, it's great to be back with you. Coming into the dojo is our good friend Steve Ray. Thank you, Gary. Good to be here. Tim Staples, welcome to Hands-On Apologetics. Hey, it's great to be with you, Gary. Thanks for having me on. Join many others in Gary Machuda's Apologetics Dojo. We have some of the best Catholic apologists in the nation. Streaming live weekdays from 10 to 11 a.m. Pacific. Hands-on apologetics on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And here's an easy way to support us by going to smile.amazon.com and type in Catholic Resource Center or Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And when you log in your Amazon account and you purchase products, a portion of it will go right back in supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And it doesn't cost you a dime. I want to thank you ahead of time because that supports us year-round. May God bless you and your family. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. All right. Well, welcome back to the clinic, Virgin Most Powerful Radio Family. As always, I want to remind you, you know, if you enjoy um, the programming that you see here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio, if you uh, are hopefully getting something out of this, feel free to donate and just give us a little bit of your time and money um, if it's possible. I think that we reach out to so many people who want to hear about the faith. And I always say, you know, if you want to send us an email and if you want to hear about any topics in particular or anything that you want covered, I think that's always helpful too, um, aside from obviously covering the topics at hand and everything that's going on in the world. We're talking today about our identity in Christ and really more importantly than anything else about how our identity in Christ is based on friendship. Um, if we look through the, through the Gospels, we can easily see this. And if you go back and listen to the talk and you've been following the talk, you can see certain passages where it really, really is striking that. God made us and God made us for friendship, so much so that he came to die for us. And this is a very important topic to consider because a lot of times we get scared. A lot of times we think about coming to Christ, coming to God, and we forget that really we're coming to a friend. We're coming to somebody who wants our friendship and is asking for our friendship, For is going to offer us their friendship and is asking for our friendship in return. Um, and whenever we're feeling scared or we're feeling like, God is never going to uh, be there for us or never going to accept us for what we've done or that we've done something that 
God can never love us for, I think it's important to remember this because at the end of the day, we have to look at our relationship with God honestly. And we have to look at the fact that God and Jesus want to be our friend and that all they ask in return is our friendship and that we follow them. The last thing we said was, you know, if Christ is our friend, one of the things we need to be aware of is that, okay, if we're going to go into this friendship, sometimes you're going to make enemies along the way. And this is where um, if we're not careful about understanding who we are and what our identity is, we're going to very easily fall into traps. We're going to fall into traps of, you know, what the media is saying, what our friends are saying, what society is saying about who we should be or what we should do. Uh, and these traps are going to lead us down a very, very dark path. Uh, because if we're not friends of Christ, then we're headed towards being friends of the enemy. So a few telling things. There's a, a saying that is attributed to different people in history, um, but many of us might have heard it. And the saying is, tell me who your friends are, and I will tell you who you are. I think it's a very powerful saying. It's very telling, because who you hang out with, who you spend your time with, as we said, friendship is based on time and, and, and a mutually uh, helpful and, and enriching relationship, who you spend your time with tells me a lot about who you are and what's important to you and who you identify as. If we're worried about spending time making other people happy, we, we're probably wasting our time if we don't realize that our identity is based in Christ and our friendship is with Christ. I'm not perfect at this. We easily, we easily get lost in the world and, you know, I'm too busy. I have to do my work. I'm identified. I'm a, I'm a physician. I'm a doctor. That's who I am. At the end of the day, that's what I do. But really, my identity is that I'm a child of God and I hopefully I'm a friend of God. If that's where my identity lies, I need to spend my time cultivating that relationship and really being part of that relationship. Why? Because if we don't, then we're going to get lost. I remember in the 80s, back when I was growing up, uh, there were a whole lot of gang members in the neighborhood. And one of the sayings they would say is, who do you claim if you came up upon people who felt that you were part of a rival gang or they didn't know who you were and they felt you were encroaching on their territory? If you were in the wrong neighborhood, um, this was a very common saying. It was, who do you claim? And it, I look at that as a very profound saying because now this, you have a group of people saying, who are you friends with? Who do you associate with? Who do you say that you are? Because back then it was pretty dangerous based on who, on how you responded. It could have been a matter of life or death. You know, there were all these rival gangs and if they didn't like you, you, you could have died. And these things are still happening in some neighborhoods. I don't know if they're still using that phrase, it's a rather old phrase, but uh, these things are still happening where there's turf wars and we're either friends or enemies based on who you hang out with, what what members, what group of friends have you chosen to be with? And if you notice in that relationship and in, in those relationships back in the 80s of the gangs, if I chose to join one gang, then I understood that there were rival gangs that I was going to make enemies. That if I chose to join this group of people and I was going to say that they were my friends and this is who I'm going to spend time with and that this is who enriches my life, I realize it better be worth it because there's going to be groups of people out there who are going to feel very differently about that, even to the point of wanting to take my life, even to the point of wanting to take me down. That was a scary situation. I remember growing up walking through the neighborhood and um, seeing different scenarios where I would want to stay away from that. I was never part of any gang and I was never had any desire to be part of any gang. 
But I remember that it was scary because even if you weren't part of the gang, you didn't know if they were going to believe you or not. They could easily ask you, who do you claim? Who are your friends? In other words, who backs you up? Because being part of the gang also meant protection for the, for the gang members. They felt that if I join these guys, they're going to they're gonna protect me as well. So it was an interesting friendship. You know, a lot of the people who joined that were who joined different gangs were people who were, um, you know, didn't either have broken homes or they didn't have very good home life or didn't have any friends to begin with. And this is where they found their friends. Not the best place to make friends. If we don't understand Christ as our friend, we might start looking for different things to edify us and to make us feel important and to make us feel like there's like we have friends or that we're important. One of the dangers in that is that if we start being seduced by things of this world, we can easily open the doors to making packs with the wrong side. Like Christ said, either you're with me or you're against me. So it's the same thing. Uh, uh, the gangs were essentially saying the same thing. Who do you claim? Are you with us or are you against us? If we look at Luke chapter 11, verse 23, Christ says, he who is not with me is against me. Why is that? Because Christ is drawing the line on the sand. And he's saying, you're going to be my friend. I'm going to offer my life for you. And I'm going to back you up. I'm going to offer you eternal life. Are you willing to have that? Because if you don't, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you're not with me, you're going to find death. That's just what's going to happen. There was a case uh, one time of a, of a young man who was in high school. He didn't join a gang. But he was very, very insecure. And he wanted to be popular. He didn't feel like he was important enough. He wanted popularity like any kid would, any, any adolescent, anybody in high school would go through awkward stages of change. And in order to be popular, he actually started to play with a Ouija board. He started to play with tarot cards. And he started to just kind of ask whatever entities were there to make him popular. He said, I want to you know, have uh, uh, good grades. I want high school to be easy for me. I want to be popular among, among my, my friends, guys and girls. And, you know, I, I just want to have this. Sure enough, things very, very easily. You know, uh, he started becoming very popular in school. School started coming very easy to him. He had good grades. He had a lot of friends and everybody loved him. And he felt really good about himself. These things started to happen. He befriended this crowd, if you will, uh, these other entities spiritually. He opened himself up. He willed himself to be friends of the dark side. What happened as a result of this? Well, remember, a friendship is a give and take. So if I'm going to give something from you, I expect something in return. Christ expects a mutually loving relationship. Christ is saying, I'm going to give my life for you. I want you to give your life for me and follow me and follow the mission that Christ, that God of the Father has given me, and we're going to have eternal life. That's going to be the goal. That's going to be the final prize of, the, of our mutual relationship. If we start to veer from that and we decide to make spiritual friends on the wrong side, remember it's a give and take. You might get what you want initially, but they're going to want to take something too. They're going to want their part. So all of a sudden, they're going to need their pound of flesh. And it's not going to be eternal life. It's not going to be to your, for your enrichment or for your betterment or for your happiness. Our identity is in Christ and our friendship in Christ really means that Christ only cares about our happiness. We might have to sacrifice to get there. We, it might not feel good because we have a broken nature. We have sinned. We have betrayed him. And in spite of that, 
Christ doesn't want to punish us. He wants to give us eternal life. He's given us every single chance. If we go down this other route where we seek popularity, we seek power, we seek money, and we seek it from the wrong crowd, and we start asking it not from Christ, but from Ouija boards or tarot cards or other entities in the universe, then all of a sudden we've formed a bond, we've formed a relationship. This can be very, very scary and very challenging because while this guy was having all this popularity and all these good things happening to him, all of a sudden things weren't so good at home. Things started moving for no reason. His parents started arguing a lot. It looked like there could have been a divorce. His dad's job wasn't going quite as well. His own life wasn't happening. Uh, actually, his home life, his relationship with his parents was off. All these things were going well at school, but everything else was falling apart around him. Seems ironic because you would think that, gosh, if he was popular, school was going well, why wouldn't everything else stay okay? And pretty soon he started not feeling good. He started feeling very depressed. He started feeling that nobody loved him, even though supposedly he was still popular, he was still getting good grades. But exactly what he asked for, the opposite happened. It was fine for a little while and it was good, but now he couldn't function. And when he revealed it to his parents, luckily his parents got him to a good priest and they started praying for him and they did deliverance prayers for him. And he was able to, through the prayers, decide he wanted to be back in friendship with Christ. He decided that he didn't want it. And it was hard for him because they said, okay, this is good. You know, as you're praying, things are going to get better, but you're not going to be as popular anymore. And now you're going to have to work for your grades. Are you willing to do that? And this was not an easy decision for him. You would think it would be a slam dunk. You would think that for people, it would be like, no problem. My life is falling apart. I want to get away from this. But in deliverance ministry, one of the things that we realize is a lot of times if people are unfortunately being influenced by the dark side, they're actually not sure if they want to get rid of everything. Sometimes, as we say, even in the medical world, sometimes people just want to come in for pain control, but they don't necessarily want to take the steps that it takes to truly be free. So we're going to talk more about those steps and making that decision when we come back. Help the Helpless, a Minnesota St. Paul nonprofit organization chaired by Father of Tear and volunteers is humbly asking you for your kind support to help the poor and the handicapped children in India and Ecuador. Through financial support from the help of the helpless benefactors, the children are provided with clothing, food, education, shelter, and the teachings of the Catholic Church. The mission is to help children thrive and become self-sufficient young adults leading productive lives. We also provide aid to poor families in Ecuador with food baskets, medicines, medical assistance, and help with funeral needs for the deceased. The work in India is done by Father Antonio's organization, St. Mary's, 
in Ecuador, the work is being done by the Servant Sisters of the Home of Mother. You can call us at 877-762-8857. To learn more, please visit our website, www.helpthehelpless.org. God bless you. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. All right, well, welcome back to the clinic and to the last part here of our talk today. Um, we're talking about our identity in Christ and how our identity is based on friendship. One of the important things that we were just talking about was if we're doing there are experiences that I've had in, in working in deliverance ministry and really what we're looking for in terms of what is it that we are looking for in our relationship with Christ? Do we understand what it means to have a friendship with Christ? A lot of times I was saying people will come in and they want pain control, as we call it. They want the pain to go away, but they don't want to make lifestyle changes that might be actually causing the pain. You know, a lot of times I see uh, people come in for, you know, counseling because they're depressed, because they're not being treated well by their boyfriend but or their girlfriend, but they're not willing to risk being out of that relationship because even if the relationship's not the most positive, they feel like they're still getting something out of it. And that can be a very challenging position to be in because it's scary. It's scary to think that even though this might not be the best situation for me, I still feel like I'm getting something out of it. And what if I lose that? Then what do I have left? Well, this is where it becomes very challenging. This is where the matter of faith comes in because part of our relationship with Christ is we have to have faith in that what he tells us he's going to do, he's going to do. And if he's telling us that he's going to give us goodness, even if we're in the midst of sacrifice, and even if it doesn't feel good, we have to have faith that he is going to fulfill whatever void is in our life, whatever void we have that is causing us to go out and seek something other than him. Um, in this particular case, this young man, again, he was asking for popularity. He was asking for good grades. He wasn't asking for anything that any adolescent wouldn't want, but he didn't go about it the right way. And he got to the point where the parents and the priests were praying for him, and they had to ask him, as we do to anybody who comes in for deliverance prayers, do you want to be free of this? Do you want to be free from this attachment to negative entities? Do you want to no longer be friends with demons or with negative entities? You know, We ask this question because, believe it or not, if the person is not willing to make that break, it's not going to work. Again, Remember, friendship is freely given and freely taken away. Nobody else, there's no legal entity 
that can break the bond if you don't want it to be broken. There's no legal entity that forces you into that relationship. The relationship has gone into freely and it's broken freely. And if you're going to break it, you have to break it freely and completely. If it's a negative relationship, if it's a relationship that's keeping us away from Christ, because the same way that Christ gave himself to us in his entirety, it's only fair that he asks us to give the same. We cannot give ourselves to Christ 98%, 99%. It's got to be 100%. If we're holding back the 2%, then we don't have an equal relationship anymore. Christ is saying, I'm giving myself to you 100%. I need the same in return in order for this to be a true friendship. This young man was able to finally say, this is not going to be easy, but I'll give all that up if it's going to clear everything up. And sure enough, as soon as that happened, Christ, true to form, allowed that those bonds to be broken. Because you got to remember, when we're doing exorcisms, when we're doing deliverance, it's not so much about getting rid of the demons as much as it is about renewing and fixing our relationship with God. That's really what it comes down to. Exorcism is about being free to choose Christ. So there's things that happen if we go into these other relationships where we're no longer free, we're in bondage. And if we're in that bondage, we can't make it, we're no longer thinking clearly. Because of our sins, we're no longer thinking clearly. And we are not free to make these decisions for ourselves. Well, that being the case, we're asking Christ to remove anything that's keeping us from being free in order so that we can freely choose him 100%. That's really what it comes down to. That's what deliverance is. If you notice, what we're really saying is, you know, when, when we talk about deliverance and exorcism, you always hear it. And I always, I, and I love the fact that uh, all the exorcists agree on this. One good confession is worth many, many exorcisms. Why? What's happening in confession? Well, confession now is actually a legal situation. When we go into confession, we are asking God to legally break any spiritual bonds that we have to any sins that we have, that we've committed, and to break those bonds so that we are now free. So free to do what? Free to have our friendship with him. So now when we go into confession, we're saying, Christ, we want to claim you and we want you to claim us. So that when we're asked by any negative entity or anybody else, who do you claim? We can say we claim Christ. At the same time, Christ can say the same about us. I claim you. We look in the Old Testament, how we say, you know, God came to claim his people. Well, we claim what's rightfully ours. And what we're recognizing in confession is that we rightfully belong to Christ, that Christ is the truth, and we have hurt that truth. We've done something that is not the truth. So really coming back into confession is proclaiming and saying, Christ, you are the truth, and I have done something that was not compatible with that. I want to get rid of that so that I can be with you. It's not so much beating ourselves down. It, otherwise, if we look at what St. Peter did, when St. Peter said, stay away from me, I'm a sinful man, Christ could have easily beat him down and said, absolutely, you are, and you've betrayed me, and you are terrible. He did not do that. By Peter proclaiming that, he was actually saying, stay away from me, I'm a sinful man. I recognize who you are. I recognize that I don't deserve to be in your presence. And Christ just says, follow me. He didn't hold it against them. In fact, he made him his first pope. He said, when I have to go back to the Father, you're going to succeed me and you're going to lead my people. It wasn't about his sins. It was about his desire to follow Christ. And that's really what it comes down to. Our friendship with Christ comes down to, do we desire Christ as much as he desires us? It's a mutual friendship. It's mutually enriching. 
as long as we're going to put our part in, we got to put our 100% in, the same way that Christ put his 100% in. When we say um, that we claim Christ and that we're essentially just claiming our inheritance, if we look back to the fact that God made us in his image and he has a mission for us and he wants us to be in heaven, that's really our inheritance. We've done things to break that. But at the same time, Christ is going to say, then what was the point of me coming down and dying on the cross for you if you're not willing to come back to me? If all you're going to say is, well, I messed up, I'm done, and Christ is going to say, well, then what was, what was the point for that? We're friends. I need you to come back to me. I need you to show that friendship for me. In terms of deliverance, um, it's very important to recognize that sometimes people feel that if they've done something like that, if they've made what they consider to be a pact with the devil or a pact with the dark side, there's no redemption. And they feel that they are so dark and that there's nothing that can redeem them. But that's not acknowledging who Christ is. That's giving much too much power to the wrong side, to the wrong gang, if you will. Because the, all, all the power on earth comes from God. All the power on earth is through Christ. And that's all that happens. So if we don't recognize the fact that Christ will forgive all of our sins no matter what we've done, then we're not acknowledging him or giving him his rightful place in the universe because there's nothing more powerful than Christ. I say this because a lot of times when people come in and they're worried about, you know, what what's going to happen if I release or, or stay away or give up this little bit of pleasure that I'm getting from being attached to this other side, well, you're going to get a whole lot in return. You might not see it now. And it might not be easy, but it's going to be there. I always encourage any of our uh, my patients in mental health or in physical health, I encourage them to incorporate their spirituality. And I, especially for anybody coming in also who feels that they need deliverance prayers, who feel that they're being afflicted, who feel that their mental illness or their physical illness is due to anything spiritual. You can never go wrong with starting to build that friendship with Christ again. How do we build that friendship? Go back to the basics. Start with the Ten Commandments. Start with praying a rosary. Start with just showing up to confession to begin with or starting to prepare to go to confession. I think we should always be prepared to go to confession. And what I mean by that is not beat ourselves up and browbeat ourselves and say, oh boy, I've done things so wrong, i got to go to confession. No, I think we have to be ready to confess that Christ is the truth and the King. And once we're ready to confess that, Confession is going to be Christ is the truth and the king. Who am I? What have I done that has not been compatible with that? It's going to be a moment of joy of fixing that relationship. Christ allows us to pray for each other and to build ourselves up that way as well. As the body of Christ, he tells us that we can pray for each other as part of our identity to help each other out, to build each other up. Not only is our relationship with Christ, but it's also with each other. This is important because... As we look at things like deliverance prayers, um, a lot of times people get really fascinated by the dark side and they want to read about it and they want to know more about it and get very intrigued by all these things. But there's something much more important than that because, again, Christ came to claim us for himself and for us to have a relationship together. He doesn't want any of these demons to be around and he probably doesn't want us to be fascinated by them either. There's a very important line in terms of our friendship with Christ that I think about especially in terms of doing deliverance ministry, that I like to keep in mind because it can be very easy to be seduced by the dark side, whether it be because we want something or even because we're studying it. We can start to get overwhelmed and feel that it's so powerful. 
But I always remember the line in the Bible, in the, in the Gospel of Luke. It's chapter 10, verses 19 through 20. And at this point, some of his uh, uh, apostles said 70 of his apostles had gone out and they started to do deliverance and they could tell that in the name of Jesus Christ, they had power over these evil entities. And they came back so happy and they said, wow, in your name, even the demons listen to us, they're subjected to us. And what does Christ reply? Did he say, isn't that so cool? Isn't that amazing? Yeah, look at these guys. Let's study them more. Let's look at what they're doing. No, not necessarily. Christ says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. So he tells us, yes, I've given you authority. Yes, this is going to happen. But what's the very next line? I think this is the key whenever we're dealing with any of this and we understand our friendship with Christ. He says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice in that your names are written in heaven. Christ is telling us, don't lose sight of why I came. Don't be impressed by other things. Don't lose sight of the fact that your names are written in heaven because I came to claim you and to die on that cross for you. It's very easy uh, to lose that focus and to think, oh, wow, this person is uh, levitating or speaking in languages. All that is just a distraction. The truth is, my friendship with Christ is the only thing that matters. My identity is in Christ because Christ came to claim me as his own. I hope you enjoyed this talk, and I hope that we have a few more uh, talks to go through uh, down the road where we can continue to talk about our friendship with Christ. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests O my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole Church, grant it love and the light of thy Spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou thyself maintain them in holiness. O divine and great High Priest, May the power of thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin most powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.